0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The compassion of God can't be overstated. It really can't. God's compassion is towards sinners because he has redeemed them with the cross at the cost of his own blood. God's mercy, his disposition towards us is only on account of Christ. And his perfect life his atoning death, without which otherwise God would not be just. God would be a liar who says, I hate sin on the one hand, but then says, eh, on the other. God's compassion can't be overstated. But our sin and what it brings, well, that can't be understated. You see the seriousness of sin concretely in the gospel reading appointed for today. The reading of the prodigal son. There's an alternate reading you can have. It says the first chapter of Luke chapter 15 where you have the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Right? If you remember those where they go searching for those and they come back and rejoice. Um, Pastor Preuss and I always, uh, when we hear that, we see the woman who calls all of her friends. We think of this woman on the phone you know, saying, Bernice, come rejoice with me. right? I found my lost coin. So it's a little hard sometimes. But that joy is there, right? And it continues in this. Luke 15, if you want to know a theology of repentance and a theology really of confession and absolution, Luke 15. So the gospel reading appointed for today, the second half of Luke chapter 15, Jesus teaches us something about God's compassion. Our Lord said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Quite the son, isn't he? Today is the sec- in the secular realm in our country is Father's Day. So imagine today, dads, if you see your kid later today, or you get a call on the phone, and he says, hey dad, happy Father's Day. Give me my inheritance now, because I kind of wish you were dead. Give me my money. Wouldn't that be an awesome card? would you just see that? (laughs) Be something. But really, that's what this son is doing, isn't he? He's in a sense asking his father, I want to treat you as if you're dead. Well, what does the fourth commandment teach us? Honor your father and your mother. It's a pretty clear-cut example of disobeying the fourth commandment. And if you remember, the fourth commandment has a promise attached to it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. God's commandments are good. God's law is good. And yes, there are even temporal blessings that go along with them. Children who honor their father and the mother, they live a peaceful life with their father and mother. The son, had he honored his father, would not have ended up in the position he was in in the state he found himself he wasn't living in, long in the land that the Lord, his God, gave him. Likewise, a man and a woman in marriage who are faithful to each other, they have better marriages. People who don't covet after another's possessions have contentment in what they have been given. Or on the first table of the law, commandments 1 through 3, if you remember the commandments are divided into the first three commandments and, and then commandments 4 through 10, got to do quick math there, um, Right between us and God and us and our neighbor, So even in those first commandments, when you fear love and trust in God above all things, the first commandment that you have no other gods, you start looking at the world differently. And you don't fear things of this world, even death, nothing to fear. But then again, we start looking at ourselves and those same commandments that we know are good and that God gives to us. And what stares back at us? Our sin looks at us with its ugly face. So even though God in our lives literally tells us, guys, this is good for you, and I'm showing you what will be good for you in your lives, and I'm showing you what will be good for your neighbor, we still sin against him. And then not only that to boot, we blame him for our sin either outright, God made me do it, God made me this way, God would have me be happy, whatever the case may be, or we just write him off. We say, it doesn't matter, I'm going to live my life my way and it's my own faith. So what does our sin do then? Our sin wishes God dead. And we want to take his place. We want that false sense of freedom that we're too blind to see as nothing but slavery to death and the devil. So this son in the reading from Luke's gospel saw where his sin led him to and where it got him. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Now I have to add, I guess, to congregations of Iowa farmers. Feeding pigs in this sense is not a good thing. (laughs) Feeding pigs, what you do, is different. For a Jew to get into this state, feeding pigs, wanting to eat what they eat, you've hit it pretty low. But the story doesn't end, though. It doesn't just stop there and say some moral lesson and say, well, such is the case. Jesus goes on. So that but, in the reading today, shows us something about this man. He repented. And repentance has two parts. There are two parts to repentance, contrition and faith. Contrition is that word that means sorrow over sin, or really perhaps a better way of translating that is a terror over sin that we have sinned against God. That hymn of the day sums up well. The author of that hymn kind of has somewhat of the Augsburg Confession in mind when he's singing that. Terror. I've gone astray, Lord. I've done this. And the second part of repentance is faith. Trusting in Christ to show us mercy solely on account of himself and his work for us. Taking our sin upon himself, suffering what we rightly deserve and what we know we deserve for our sin. Crying out, Lord, have mercy. That's what it means to repent. The law of God convicts us of our sin and shows us that we have not lived according to what God desires for our life and what He commands of us. And the gospel shows us the one who is our substitute, who says, I forgive you, I have mercy. And it produces a new life in Christ. So this is what it means to be a Christian. This is our daily life in Christ. Our sinful desire and will is crucified by hearing what God desires for our lives and commands us in turning from what is sinful. It says, I'm not going to listen to my sinful flesh. I'm not going to listen to the fallen world who seeks to tear me away from Christ. I'm not going to listen to the devil and his accusations and his works and his ways. But instead, I will cling to God and his mercy found in christ i will live in his forgiveness and this new life bears fruits of repentance this new life lives differently it looks at the world differently it looks at our neighbor differently and it's a life that goes from slavery to freedom from blindness to sight from death to life it's what it means to live our baptism It's what Morgan is going to continue to confess in a few minutes. That this is what has been given to her and what she desires to continue to live in. And so Saint Paul shows this in the epistle reading and what this looked like in his life on a grand scale, more in a broad sense, in the broad sense of repentance. When the Lord called him to faith, Saint Paul said, "I thank Him who gave who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service." Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So it's always an interesting passage, isn't it? St. Paul, who was Saul at the time, persecuted Christians. He held the cloaks of the people who stoned St. Stephen to get death, who's sometimes called the first Christian martyr. So here's this guy that the Lord changed because the Lord showed him mercy. The Lord forgave him his sin. The Lord gave him a new life. So this guy then that had done all of these things, persecuting Christians, ended up writing 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. It's quite a change. But notice what Paul doesn't do. He's not boasting in his past life. He's not airing out his dirty laundry as a way to say, guys, look how big a sinner I was. You want to say you're a sinner? I was pretty big. There is an element to that, but he's not for the sake of bragging. But what he's showing, he's showing that God is the one who forgives sins. He's the one alone who changes hearts. The son's heart, in this reading from Luke 15, it was changed. He came to himself. The father had compassion on his son who treated him so poorly. The father forgave him. That too is the Christian faith. The compassion of God can't be overstated. There is great joy in the heart of the Father and great joy in heaven before the angels of God when a sinner repents. Death has changed to life. That reading from Micah today sums it up well. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and Passovering transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? That is Micah saying, who in the world does that? Who in the world does that who passes over transgression?" He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Those words are beautiful. And they're about what God has done with your sin. So Luke 15, then I said, is about repentance. It's about the compassion of God. It's about confession and absolution, that we confess our sin and receive forgiveness. But there's one overarching theme in Luke chapter 15. Joy. There's great joy as God's compassion overflows in your life. And even if it overflows into others. Now, as we're sitting here today as St. Andrew and St. John Lutheran Church, there still is a convicting thing for us, because not always are we the son who goes off and squanders his inheritance. That still is true for us, and we understand who we are in our sin, but there's a very real temptation and danger for those of us who haven't done this to be like the brother, the other brother, who said, Look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So our temptation is to be upset that we aren't given the party, when all the time we've been the one following the rules. We aren't the one who called up our dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. We've been the good son. But we see that in this Christian faith, it's not about us by ourselves. Our faith in Christ is always directed outwards. When our Christian faith starts directing inwards, that's not the Christian faith. So we're directed in faith toward God and in love toward our neighbor. So when someone sins against us, our response is to forgive Lest we forget what Jesus said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, our concern as Christians is for our brother. Because guess what? He's our brother. So, we are the body of Christ together. In Galatians 6, God says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now think about this in a sense of when you hit your toe on something, Right? I'm sure you've all hit your toe on something. If you haven't hit your toe on something, I don't know what you've been doing in your life. Do it all the time. When you have a house full of kids, I'm always hitting my toe. And what happens when you hit your toe? What happens to your whole body? You feel it. You feel the pain. You hit that toe on the side of a little kid's chair and it just goes right up you. So, too, we want our whole body to be together. When our church is missing her members, this is a tragedy. Something is missing. Someone is missing. When one of our brothers and sisters in Christ is persisting in sin, we weep, we lament that he or she is living in slavery and death, that they've blinded their eyes to see what is truly good and right in this world, and that they're standing outside of life that is truly freeing, and a life that on the last day will see eternal joy. So when one suffers, we all suffer. When one weeps, we all weep. In our lives, then, we care for and love our brothers. We yearn. We seek our neighbor who stands far off. And we know the mercy of God that he puts our sin away. And we know that this is for everyone. So we live out our baptisms being salt and light to a world in darkness. And as the church being a city set on a hill... Every opportunity we get is a time to show that compassion of Christ to others. Even if we must say tough, hard things, calling to repentance as a father, as a mother, as a sibling, a friend, a brother, a sister, we speak the truth in love because we don't want the sinner to perish. But we want him or her to turn from his ways and live. And you know what? When we actually believe that God's word works, And when we actually believe that God forgives sin, it makes restoring our brother that much more of an important priority in our lives. And it makes it easier. Because we know the seriousness of sin. We know that death could be just right around the corner for each one of us. But we also see the great compassion of God in Christ. And we know that there is great joy in heaven over one sinner who repents that even the angels before the throne of God, the angels that the Bible tells us we can't even number, they throw a party in heaven when a sinner repents of his sin. And we want to have a feast of thanksgiving for the one who was lost and has been found, the one who was dead and is alive again. We want to be the father who sees the son running towards us and we want to go out to meet him with arms outstretched so that we We'll embrace as only the body of Christ can do together in repentance and faith. That's the desire of the Christian who has a new life in Christ. That's our constant prayer as the body of Christ and as individual members of it. It's the compassion and mercy shown to us and then that spills out over in abundance to those around us. So, dear people of God, rejoice today in the compassion of God shown to you and to the world. In that gradual, that short reading between the Old Testament and the epistle reading, we prayed, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. I call to God and the Lord will save me. He redeems my soul in safety. And this is most certainly true. God has taken your burden on himself. And he continues to do so he saved you by the blood of christ and you're washed clean and he's brought you here today as you confess your sin and you know the seriousness of your sin and you know god's compassion is towards you because you're baptized into christ and because a few minutes ago pastor lingard said i forgive you all of your sins in the name of the father son and holy spirit and the lord even still shows more compassion as he throws a feast where he gives you his own body and blood forgiving your sins And from which you go, and you live in faith toward God and in love toward one another. So, the compassion of God can't be overstated, as you are His children and He's your Father. And so, His arms are open and they're embracing you with forgiveness. And they're pointing you to that day when He embraces you as only He can, when you see Him face to face in His kingdom. And when you look off in the distance and you see that eternal wedding feast, which knows no end. And the Lord looks at you. He looks at your brothers in Christ on that day when you've been raised from your flesh. And he says, let's feast. Death has been defeated. And we have life. Amen.